Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? A little tired. We talked off air. I've had a crazy weekend here. I'm <laughs> lucky that I got back in town to enjoy football Sunday in my own living room. I'm amazed I'm still awake at this point, to be quite frank, but uh, ew, I'm feeling good otherwise. Feeling good. Um, I'm glad we're going to be able to discuss another Bills win here uh, and dive into it, but overall, feeling good, feeling good, enjoying this football Sunday as everyone's here now listening Monday and on throughout the week. Well, we appreciate your perseverance pushing through. Maybe you'll earn yourself a game ball later in the show. We will have to wait and see. But 20 to 12, the Bills were victorious today over the New York Jets. The Bills improved to 10 and 3 on the season. And regardless of what happened on the out-of-town scoreboard, the Bills hold true to that number one seed with four games left to play. Luca, I'm going to mix up the question a little bit today because a lot of times I ask you, how were you feeling when the game ended? But I'm going to mix it up just a little bit. What do you think the story of today's game was? That's a very broad question. You can go in a million different directions. But to you, what was the story of today's game? This, to me, the story of the game was just a classic late season divisional game. You know, so, you know, kind of to put it in a betting terms, they always tell you in betting, if you have a November, December divisional outdoor game, unders are a good play, right? And this game fit that description to a T. Like it was perfect. Exactly in the betting world, what you would have expected and kind of the model of this is what you have to expect. And this is why you bet the under. Of course, this game with the final score being 20 to 12 was under by, I believe the under opening was 44 or at kickoff, I should say. So this hit the under by over 10 points. Not a surprise. It's just, it's not pretty. There's a lot, you know, to question maybe and stuff. And we'll get into that. There's other things you can say went well, but overall they don't ask how it happened at the end of the day. It's just what happened. What was the result? Luckily for us, the bills finished on the winning side and yeah, it's just that classic late season, ugly divisional game. It's another one too, just to put it out there right out the gate where I really do think the Jets did in a way, and we'll get into it again, where they showed that this is a team, you know, as Salah even said, we'll see them again. And you can honestly think Salah's not crazy for saying something like that. Like they're definitely a respectable team. They know what they're doing. They understand what the team's objectives are. And they showed today that they'll make they'll make even the best teams in the league's day very, very difficult and make you earn every inch, every yard, and earn that win however you can do it so yeah just ugly it was an ugly win but that's kind of what you expect with a late season divisional game so it's not upsetting there are things to be upset about maybe but overall the result and what had happened is not surprising to me whatsoever yeah i mean the bills were a nine and a half point favorite like you mentioned they won the game by eight the Jets really only a handful of times this year i think it's four or five times have given up 20 or more points to an opponent And I want to circle back to built-in Buffalo Live. Now, Luca obviously was traveling during that, so Stokes was hosting with me. And there were two things about, I mean, we mentioned a lot about this game, but there was one thing we did a whole segment on the Jets' defense where they are third in the entire NFL in pass rush, according to PFF, second in coverage, which means 
If you can get elite pass rush and elite coverage, it is hard to move the ball on that defense. And we went through the names. They might have the best cornerback tandem in the league with Reed and Sauce Gardner. And then Carter at the slot got picked on a little bit today. We can talk about that. And then they they move their defensive linemen in and out, similar to the Bills. They have a bunch of guys that can rush the passer, push the pocket. Quinnen Williams is obviously the alpha of that group. He left the game with an injury today. But I think knowing the fact that this defense was as good as we laid out, knowing what the weather report was looking like leading into today with rain much of the day, even turning into some snow, I think it was foreseeable to see that this game could be ugly offensively for the Bills. What I like is in one of my keys to the game, and again, this sounds like Captain Obvious stuff, was you have to win the turnover battle against the Jets. But my reasoning for that was the Bills defense the last three games has not forced an interception. Conversely, there was a three-game stretch that the Jets game before sandwiched Packers, Jets, Vikings, where Josh Allen threw six interceptions over three games. The three games after that, he's only thrown one. Now, the Bills won the turnover battle today, two to none, which was check that box, but none of those were interceptions. They were forced fumbles. So I think the Bills played smart. I think it was nice to see the Bills be able to get a game to the win column when their offense was not having their best day, whether you want to credit the Jets defense, whether you want to say the Bills offense was off, whether it was a mixture of both. You guys can have that conversation amongst yourselves. We'll have that conversation tonight. I like the fact that this Bills team has shown them an ability to be multiple We saw against the Browns, they could run their way to victory. We've seen time and time again, they can throw their way to victory. And today, they played defense and field position and smartly won their way to victory. Although I think there's some things about the way they handled the fourth quarter that we're going to get into tonight that were less than ideal. Overall, though, Luca, it lacks style points. This game probably isn't one that this offseason you or I are going to be itching to go back and watch to relive that feeling we had seeing it. But the biggest point here is the Bills were the one seed going into today. They didn't bring their A game offensively, and they still won the game. And that's all that matters at this point of the season. I know Jerry Sullivan was in the press conference and made a comment about this offense isn't good enough currently to win the Super Bowl, and it got Josh Allen upset, and Jerry Sullivan is a clown. We all understand that. They weren't playing the Super Bowl today. They were playing the Jets in the rain in Buffalo, and they had to get a win. Check that box. All that said, Luca, the Bills won the game, but do we have an overarching concern with this offense? They only, I think, let me get, check the notes here, make sure I'm correct here. They only had a total of, how many yards did they have? 232 total yards, which is just a smidge over what they had total yards in the monsoon game against the Patriots last year. Do we have a concern with the offense? Is this elite Jets defense plus bad weather? Or are you concerned about what's going on with the offense in general? I think it's it's a mixed bag. I, I don't think there's one set answer, or one set thing that you can blame. And, you know, that's just the one thing this team needs to correct. Or we can just look past because this will be a one of what, however you want to word it. Right. I do think like I led this whole podcast with there needs to be respect given to this Jets, as you just pointed out there with what you had discussed with Stokes on the built-in Buffalo live. This defense has incredible numbers, especially in the past game, which of course is the bills offensive strength defensively now. So it's going to make this offense's life miserable. It's just not going to be a fun time. As I said, you're going to have to earn everything and you can't, you can't screw up essentially. So there is that, but 
what I will add is that first, hmm, I mean, basically up until that final drive of the first half, what we watched there to me was concerning in-house because as we have pointed out prior and, you know, hopefully everyone understands those early offensive snaps, those early drives, the first, second drives are scripted. Those are the plays that this team is most likely practicing throughout the week, what they want to attack early on so that they can, you know, start on the right foot. And it looked so off. Like it looked like these were plays that were just randomly thrown into a hat and picked. And the offense at times didn't even know what was going on. Kind of. I don't want to say that like as a whole statement, because of course they know what's going on. It just seemed off. And then McDermott gets interviewed and he's like, they, you know, essentially says, we just, we, we need to get on track. We need to get in rhythm. We need to, you know, they're just off right now, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, though, that is the time that this team as good as they are and as where this offense should be, those aren't the times that they should, you know, get off track. Those are the plays that they have scripted. Those are the plays they should have been practicing. Those are the plays you should feel very comfortable going into a game early, running a good, successful drive early on so you can at least start the game well, which then after that point is when maybe if the defense kind of picked up on what you tried to do that first one or two drives, whatever it may be, then the, say the Jets defense kind of in a chess match answers it and is able to slow you down, get you off a little bit, where then you need to regroup, make adjustments, and go from there. It's very concerning to me that this offense, right out the gate, just looked like they had, you know, again, not no idea what's going on, but just for lack of a better term, no idea what's going on, and we're just so slow and out of sync and and just not able to get into any sort of rhythm that it took them going into a two-minute drill-like style drive late in the first half to get something figured out. It also, by the way, took... Uh, <laughs> I cannot believe the Jets jumped off on that. I cannot mm. believe... Like, how in the world? If, if the... Let me just put myself into Bob Sala's shoes here. I would be telling these, screaming it. So even the Bills could hear. If they want to go for it, let them. Just let them. You're like the Bills, what were they on their own? 40, I want to say, around there. Um, just not having it specifically in front of me. I mean, if the Bills really want to do that and you're a good enough defense that you are comfortable with whatever they're trying to do, just for the love of God, do not jump. Just let them snap the ball and then figure it out. And somehow they bit on Knox getting under center there, kind of a Chiefs play. Um, we've seen the Chiefs do that exact style thing. Um, and that's inevitably what allowed them to drive down the field and get to that Knox touchdown to open things up in this game late in the first half. It wasn't until then that this offense looked like they could do anything. And maybe it was that jump offside that kind of sparked them like, hey, maybe we can get the bounces, the calls, whatever you want to call and get a drive going. Because up until that point, there was none of it. So, yes, there is a concern to me about what's being done in-house with the offense with between the offensive coordinator and Allen, maybe, you know, an understanding of what we need to do or just from the offensive coordinator to the offensive group as a whole, what they're trying to achieve. Like there's a disconnect, a misunderstanding, however you want to word it there, where they're just not starting this game out well at all. 
And then, yeah, you're just scrambling around to create a game plan to then get into some sort of rhythm and eventually take over. Luckily for us, on the other side, we have a very good defense and they have Mike White. They don't have Josh Allen themselves. So it our defense, thank God for us, bought us enough time to figure things out offensively to finally get on the front foot, get the first points in the game, and then go from there. It just took way too long to be comfortable. Props to the Jets, props to their defense. You know, they did a great job and they are a good defense, but I don't think it's entirely just due to them as well. And I'm not saying that in any sort of disrespect. I just, it's clear that based on the situation, mainly in that first half and opening drive, opening two drives, whatever was discussed, whatever the game plan was, was not it. And the offense on the field just didn't understand what was going on. And that to me is a bit of a red flag. And that is not something I want to see going forward. Yeah, C.J. Mosley jumping offside on that fourth down was his rare bad play today because he was all over the field today. It felt like any time he was near a ball carrier, he was taking down the ball carrier with four short of the first down. Just a really impressive player. But that was a that was a pretty mind boggling play by a veteran player there. He has to know that the Bills aren't going to snap the ball. You mentioned the Bills. Their two offensive touchdowns came on the last drive of the first half, the first drive of the second half. And I think it was a mixed bag of chaos going on with the Bills early on because I, you and I talked a little bit off air. We, we aren't enamored with some of the design of these plays. I don't think that right now Ken Dorsey is doing um, his 111th, if you will, to get these guys um, maximizing their ability to get open. But I will also say Josh Allen, um, there were some plays there to be made checking it down early when he throws the bomb to John Brown. And I, I want to say it was Knox over the middle of the field, just waving his hands, just a quick move the chains ball. And then the next play after that, he had, I want to say it was either Knox or it was Cook over the middle of the field, passes it up and throws a ball that goes incomplete. And then they end up punting. But yes, we understand Josh Allen is aggressive. We would like to see him maybe take a profit there, especially against a defense that's notorious for playing a deeper zone. They're going to give you the check downs. You have to be willing to take them. But I will also say, Luca, that John Brown play was there to be made. The ball hit him on the hands deep. And I want to say it was Sauce Gardner who knocked it away. Great play by him. But I felt like as bad, not as bad, but as bad as the offense looked today at times, as out of sync as maybe some of the plays looked at times, are we even having this conversation if the Bills didn't have, I don't have the official stats in front of me, maybe they'll come out tomorrow, but it felt to me watching this game they had six, seven, maybe even eight drops. I know McKenzie had one on third down where Allen scrambles, hits him going up the sideline. He drops it. The John Brown drop, you expect John Brown to make that catch. He's a little rusty, whatever. There was a Dawson Knox drop in there. There was a Devin Singletary drop in there. The drops bit this team today. McDermott didn't want to use weather as an excuse, but all of all of the criticism we're going to be giving the offense is it as simple to say, like, maybe we wouldn't feel, be feeling this way if the guys just did their job and caught the ball today? So, um, yeah, I, I'm i going to say this. Something I said in my living room, and I was like, I don't know what the answer is. And, of course, I don't know gear available. I don't know what the Bills receiver receiving core is comfortable with. I don't know the whole discussions, of course, because we're not standing there, Josh. But, you know, spoiler alert. But, <laughs> um Early on, it was to me, and I'm sure to everyone else, 
apparent that weather was affecting catching the ball and mainly receivers with gloves on. And just from somewhat experience with things like of that nature, it's harder to catch a ball, that leather ball, when your your receiving glove is slick and constantly slick from moisture. It actually neutralizes or almost defeats the purpose of the glove and the tackiness just because it's constantly wet and becomes almost slick-like. So, for instance, the John Brown ball you're talking about, I legitimately said, I was like, I bet you in dry conditions, that ball doesn't slip out enough to be incomplete. Because as you pointed out, that ball was to be had. It was there. Sauce Gardner, you are correct, made a great play on it as well. And if it was dry, I wonder if John Brown is able to kind of keep it a little more under wraps. And it it doesn't slip a little bit, squeak out. It's not on the slick gloves on his hands. And, you know, you mentioned you don't have the stats in front of you. Looking at the box score here, it's kind of somewhat alarming, I guess we'll call it, because you are right. Knox, seven targets, four receptions. Diggs, five targets, three receptions. Gabe Davis, four targets, three receptions. Isaiah McKenzie, five targets, three receptions. I would be, I, I think it's safe to assume going down that list, every one of those players at least had one of those being a drop. Um, Gabe Davis, I know was a drop. So that was his only target that wasn't caught, but even Diggs had a drop. I believe Knox had two drops and the McKenzie's both were, I believe drops as well. So yeah, I, I understand McDermott doesn't want to blame weather because essentially I feel like a coach on the contrary, if they do blame weather and they kind of bring that, um, it almost introduces that to a player's head in a psyche where they're just going to kind of wrap their mind around that and kind of use that as a fallback. And you don't want them to, you just want them to just move on and just be like, be, you know, I love saying this, be a goldfish, just figure it about, forget about it, move on, figure it out. Don't worry about why it's happening. Worry about how you can make the next one count. And I like that mentality. I will say like it was there. I'm sure McDermott, internally acknowledges that I think he understands that I think everyone understands that and that does need to be said but yeah so I do think it's that but overall I I wonder about Allen's whole situation the other point that you brought up where he wasn't taking those checkdowns and this comes literally a week after it seemed like that was exactly what he wanted to do and or even weeks where that if that message must have been being driven to him throughout you know pregames of the Lions game, of the Patriots game, things like that. And all of a sudden he want to get that that thought of always looking downfield early and really wanting to kind of put exclamation points on and just put the foot on the throat right out the gates was there. And it's like, hey, Josh, it's been working great, dude. If they're giving it to you, just keep doing it. Because the best part about it, and I really, this is me kind of with an understanding it's like I feel like in a defense that's really good and somewhat aggressive like the Jets defense the best thing you can do is take those things early on when you can obviously make plays happen still and then get them to kind of cheat and creep up and think okay they're just they're letting they're give they're taking exactly what we're giving them so eventually they're going to want to try to make a play and jump up and they're going to want to try to do something and hey, Josh, by the way, that could be the time you hit them. Like, And and that could be something that me, needs to be discussed between Allen and Dorsey or whatever, where it's like, this is kind of the game plan at you know 17. Like, this is what we want you to do. Take those, take those, take those. And when all of a sudden I give you, you know, a signal or a play call that's designed with one of those deep shots, this is when I'm thinking you're going to maybe see one of those looks where they're going to try to 
jump on something, make a play, and you will have a better chance of something like that. There were plays to be had. John Brown won specifically where it just didn't work out. But also, I do think maybe they'll look... There's a hope, I guess. I don't even want to like speculate like, oh, maybe they're going to do this. There's a hope in me that goes, hey, it didn't work out this week. You tried to kind of get out there hot and throw all those deep balls or you know whatever kind of looks you were trying to instead of taking the easy stuff. But let's get back to that. Let's next week we got a crucial game against another divisional foe. The wrap up of, of this you know trident of divisional games. We want to try to get out of the slate three and zero. Of course, let's get back to that next week. Let's try to you know just take the easy stuff. Give you know take exactly what they're giving you. And those plays will be there later in the game, most likely. Like eventually, as long as we keep doing our thing and we get a lead, they're going to have to do something. They're going to. And guess what? That's your chance. Jump on them then. We'll figure it out. That's my hope for this because it was there. Like we saw it just happening, as I just mentioned. So I can't imagine that, you know, it's not going to be something that they're going to bring up now all of a sudden. They're going to be like, oh, no, no, we're going to go back at that next week now. It didn't work out this week. We'll go back at it next week. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's like, no. Like, go, let's go back to something that we just found great success in and move back to that and then find those big plays when they are available later in games because it worked so well just prior to that. So, yeah, it's it's great points by you to bring up. Like, there's there's a lot of variables there as well. I just, yeah, I will say Allen was a little frustrating at moments because, yeah, there was the one where, uh, as I believe you brought it up, Knox legitimately just waving his hands like, mm-hmm. hey, bud. Yeah, I got like 10 yards of space behind me and I'm free to go. Just give me the just pitch it over. Just, you know, shuffle it to me. Mm -hmm. We're good. Yeah, it's it's a it's not upsetting in such a like uh, aggravating way. It's just like, oh, we just saw it work so successfully. It's not flashy. It's not, you know, awesome and great television. But guess what? These are the games. Again, they don't ask how they just ask what happened. And we just need wins. And let's just make that happen, please. So. You know, a little bit concerning, a little bit frustrating, however you want to call it. Uh, Hopefully that's something they look at in the tape and, uh, you know, 17 can figure it out moving forward and kind of get back to what was working and what is easy and comfortable and just take what the defense gives you and move on. Because this team and this defense, as it showed today, is very much good enough to just lock games down and get it over with, move on to the next week without compromising anything with what the end goal is. So yeah, that's kind of where my head's with that. Yeah, there's a few things in there that you said that I want to piggyback on. One, um, when you talk about the short passing game, this is not a team that runs the ball effectively consistently. We've seen spurts of it. We saw it in Cleveland. We saw it for some of the New England game where they ran the ball well, but I would say consistently game over game, you're not going to see this team run the ball well, but what they can do is what Luca talked about is use those dump offs as an extension of the running game, where if you dump it down to Knox or Cook in that scenario, that forces the defense to respect that, similar to respecting a running play, and they have to keep their eyes in front of them instead of always worrying about what's going on behind them, and that can open up the deeper passing game. The other thing you said about the gloves and McDermott not letting uh, the team use that as an excuse is I think that's a good lesson to the fan base as well, because I wasn't on Twitter too much today. This was probably the most I hadn't been on Twitter during a game. I just wanted to enjoy the game, but I did see the normal conversation that pops up when the bills struggle in bad weather. This is why we need a dome. And I think much like McDermott's trying to set the tempo with his team of, Hey, we're not going to use weather as an excuse. 
I think as a fan base, we have to graduate past the point of being upset that we don't have a dome. These are the Buffalo Bills. They're going to play eight to nine home games every year in Buffalo. Chances are they're going to run into four or five or six games that have weather that's less than ideal. And if they're as good as we think they're going to be with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, they're going to have multiple playoff games, hopefully in January every year in bad weather conditions. So you can either be upset about it, use it as an excuse for why you're not executing at the level you want to, or you can say, well, we're the Buffalo Bills. We have to be able to overcome this build our team in a way to overcome this. And then when the weather does hit, it is an advantage for us. So I'm glad that McDermott is not willing to use the weather as an excuse. Luca, I just want to use some stats here to kind of point to how frustrating of a day it was offensively. And I understand the Bills won a game today and we're going to get to some good things, particularly on defense, but there's some alarming numbers in here. The Bills lost the time of possession today by almost 10 minutes. The Jets possessed it for 34 minutes and 25 seconds. Sam Martin punted seven times today. The most he had punted all year long was four in Detroit. Outside of the Lions game, the most the Bills had punted all year was three times in a game. This one's the most one, though, the most um, egregious. On third downs today, the Bills were two for 13 on third downs. Now, I am very confident that number will improve. We've all heard the saying, third in Josh Allen. I'm very confident that this team will figure out the the third down issue because of the fact that even if the scheme isn't ideal, you have a superstar in Josh Allen and a superstar in Stefan Diggs. They will find ways to make it work. I am willing to accept that that is an anomaly. But I do want to talk about the end of game sequence, Luca. The Bills were up 20 to 7. There was eight and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And the Jets punted from midfield. And at the at the time that they punted, I think it was maybe like a fourth and 12 at midfield. I thought, wow, thanks, Jets. You're, you're kind of throwing in the towel on this game because the Bills are going to get the ball back. And at the very least, they're going to burn two minutes a clock. And then they're going to give you the ball back at midfield again. You're right back where you started with two less minutes. But the Bills had the ball three more times, not including the, the one play kneel down at the very end of the game. The, the last three drives that the Bills had that actually mattered were Three and out ended with the punt block safety. They only killed 56 seconds. Keep in mind, all these drives, the Bills are leading by no more than two possessions with eight and a half minutes left. Three and out, 56 seconds. They they ran once. They threw two passes, both incomplete. The next time they get the ball back, three and out, punt. Next time they get the ball back, this is under two minutes to go. Three and out. They started off with an incomplete pass. Again, the knocks drop where um, they knocked it away from his hands. He probably should have caught the ball. I think it was Mosley again that knocked it away, but it it saved the Jets a timeout. So the Bills got the ball back with under eight minutes and 30 seconds left, protecting a lead. The offense is the staple of this team, Luca. Not only did they go three and out three drives in a row, but as much as this team is pass heavy, it felt like they didn't quite understand the assignment in this situation of, you're playing against the clock at this point as much as the Jets. You're not playing against Patrick Mahomes where you feel like if he has two minutes, he can score twice. You're playing against Mike White. Like burning two minutes off the clock is a win, even if you're punting it back to them. We can talk about the issue of this team not trusting their run game enough to play smart fundamental football and run the ball three times and think they can get 10 yards. But what did you think about the Bills' strategy there of not only getting a first down on any of those last three drives, but passing more than you might think is ideal in that situation where all you really want to do is either a keep the clock moving or b burn their timeouts the final 
one that you mentioned, the three and out with the one passing complete to Knox, where it's in his hands. CJ Mosley, I believe you are correct, was the one to make a play on it. Um, it was in his hands. Like that's a ball, like effectively you gotta have, right? I get the conditions and it, it seemed like later on, since it switched to snow, I feel like snow actually is better for this, right? It's not just constant wet rain going on those gloves and everything. Now, all of a sudden you have that quote unquote air quotes on video here, dry condensation coming down now where it's a little more contained or easier to manage with those gloves and catching the ball and everything like that. You got to have it. Good play by Mosley, um, if that is the one who made the play on it, so on and so forth. The interesting point, and I'm going to give credit to my buddy Goff, was it's fascinating that they made that decision on first down. And that, it seems minor, but he's right. Like, it's, it's very interesting that you do that because even if that is completed, think about it, you actually still have to pick up another first down. They actually could still get the ball back if then you run three times, you don't get a first down and punt after they use their timeouts. There is still available time on the clock. It's a weird, it's a weird one. Like that was the one where I was like, man, my buddy's yeah, right. Like that's a great point. It's it's that's where you really something as small and detailed as that, when an individual such as ourselves sitting in a living room can pick up, like it feeds into that thing that I've brought up about Dorsey in the past. And my concern with Dorsey is he doesn't have a really good game sense. He doesn't have, it doesn't seem like he has that feeling of how to run games, what to do, where things like that, that I also think Dable is exceptional at. And that was a really interesting, small, minor detail that can be utilized in backing up what I'm saying there. It's like, Hey, I like the aggressiveness. I like the, hey, we're going to pick up the first down, but there's also a time and down to do it, and that wasn't it. it, it it's, it's weird because you're like, oh, if you just run it two times, you pick up a total of, say, four yards, two yards of carry, and then it's third and six. Maybe they're expecting it more, and you're not going to get that free one-on-one -on -one that you did get in that first down. Very valid, right? That's absolutely valid because then they do have to be on alert somewhat for it. Also, the Jets just, I mean, most likely they're going to accept, like, they don't want you to get anything easy. They don't want to give you anything easy. Obviously, the run game, but then also just a quick pass out. So if that scenario was there, if Knox is running that same route on third down, Josh, I think it's kind of safe to assume most likely that it's probably one-on-one -on -one down the field like that in the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you get that first down, they essentially only have one timeout. There's whatever amount of time that came off between the two other plays. And maybe that time there is a completely different situation. Who knows? So that's just the time to do it because it just makes more sense with what's available to the other team. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's questionable clock management. It's um, what do we call it? Uh, the opposite or just, just questionable Madden sense, questionable Andy Reed, Philadelphia Eagles clock management, just like those head scratching decisions that you're like, I don't, I don't even call it overthinking. I just think it's, as you put it, not understanding the assignment, not understanding how to sense a game out, how to analyze what needs to happen here. Another thing I'll say is I know they don't want to trust their run game and everything like that. 
this really felt like a Devin Singletary game to me. And I'm not saying they needed to hand him the ball 20 times. He got the ball eight times. He had one 16-yard run, but he he totaled 39 yards on eight carries. That is just over 4.5, if I'm doing my math really quick off the top of my head, per carry. I would like to guess in an obvious running situation, he could hopefully squeeze through and get three yards a carry. So now you're at third and four, whatever it might be. And you can then, you have a lot of options on the table. Well, now you just all of a sudden went to a second and 10 situation after throwing a pass. They didn't need to use a timeout and just, I don't know what's going on all of a sudden. Like, it's just now you like, you're like, okay, you're in an obvious run situation and you're way behind the chains. Like it's almost inevitable that you're just going to go three and out and have to punt it away. And there's, what does that cost you? 46 seconds, we'll call it. It's like, oh man. 46 seconds is a lot of time to do a lot of things. Thank God the Jets did. Uh, I don't know if this was before or after that drive. What I will say is I was actually surprised they went for the field goal. I'm really, really, really yeah. surprised. Like, thank you. Thank you, Salah, for making that decision because inevitably it's going to be a lot harder to go back down the field all the way to that position and then get a touchdown and have to get the two point. It's like you. It's they kind of screwed that one up a little bit there whatever but thank you for that because it just made it a little less stressful because if they did go for it on fourth they did pick it up get a touchdown maybe it took another 30 seconds we'll say off the clock um but overall if you're doing 30 seconds it's rather than us saving them 46 seconds that we just estimated there and they still probably have let's say 30 seconds or so to go and to get into field goal range which could be all of two plays on soft coverage whatever it may be whatever's going on so Ultimately, yeah, I really want Dorsey to just reevaluate how he senses a game and figure it out. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, understand how to manage the clock better and understand what to call when and how to do it and how to approach it. Because this is not it. You pointed and you drew this out perfectly. Three and out, pump block safety. Pump block safety is what it is. It's the thing that kills you is the 56 seconds total runoff before then and luckily for us jets get the ball back and a forced fumble happens and we get the ball back from there what stinks is then we just go three and out and give the ball right back with not a whole lot of time killed and then on top of it we get one more drive where essentially we just need a timeout or i'm uh, sorry a first down plus ish and you the pass we just brought up here was just a disaster like i uh, it's just weird. It's confusing. It's questionable, everything like that. And I don't know where to go other than the coaching staff and a little bit more on Dorsey. McDermott may need to get involved a little bit more. Maybe he already is. And that might be also part of it. I don't know. It's just someone needs to understand clock management way better because what we've seen today and what we've seen recently in the past has been very questionable to both of us. I imagine I'm going to say it for myself, but Josh, I think you agree here based on you bringing up this point in the first place not not good at all you know not to really draw this out here but it was head scratching as best and yeah the it's emphasized by that first down pass play that unfortunately was dropped by Knox maybe caught on a dry day but who cares that what happened happened and you have to understand what you're playing in and unfortunately that was just not the way to go about it yeah I like your buddy Goff's point there about the first down pass because it definitely did not ice the game in that scenario even if you get it I mean the Jets would have been really up against it you know they would have had 30 some odd seconds and no timeouts but still to your point like 
if you're going to take a shot there, you want that shot to be followed by kneel downs, not followed by still having to play offense. You know, the Jets did not really impress from a strategical standpoint today either. Um, You mentioned the field goal to get it within eight. That, to me, was egregious by Robert Sala. They're down by 11. It's fourth and one at the nine-yard line. And there is a minute 21 left. They still have three timeouts. They're going to kick off and play defense, all that. But fourth and one? You know you need a touchdown, a two-point conversion, and a field goal. The field goal is by far the easiest piece of that. So if you're at fourth and one, why are you not just rolling the dice that you can gain one yard? You're nine yards away from the end zone. Get the hard part out of the way now. If you can't get one yard, then you just tip your cap and move on. Why are you taking the field goal on fourth and one? And then from that point on, what you're saying is we're going to kick it deep, which I thought was also an interesting play call because Greg Zerline actually is one of the better onsides kick kickers in the sport. It's a slick day, so you never know what's going to happen when that ball starts bouncing around on the ground. You give yourself a shot with that. So their strategy was pass up a fourth and one, kick the field goal, kick deep with a minute 20 left. You think the Bills are probably going to run three times, punt it back to you with a minute left and no timeouts, and then you have Mike White, who's playing injured, having to drive the length of the field with a minute and no timeouts against this Bills defense and also get a two-point conversion. I thought it was just an awful strategy point by the Jets. I thought they also punted earlier on, on the before the Bills had that cycle of three drives in a row of three and outs, the one that led to the safety. I thought that was a really cowardly punt at midfield. It felt like that the, the Jets had kind of thrown in the towel there. I was not impressed with Salah, but I'll tell you who I was impressed with. I was impressed with Mike White. I didn't know really what to think of him. I still kind of like the Fitzpatrick comparison particularly when it comes to like his personality and how the team believes in him. He was knocked out of this game twice. And then Robert Salas said after the game that he went to the hospital. And Luca, I was watching this game with my wife. She's a Bills fan. She roots for the Bills. But I'm telling you, she had that mama bear energy every time Mike White got hit. Like she was even like, oh, no, don't hit him again. Like after he had left the game twice and every time he got hit, he was getting up, like holding his ribs, holding his chest. She started feeling bad for him. Like, just take him out of the game. What are you doing? He impressed me today. I don't I don't know that he's going to be an all-world quarterback. He made some really impressive throws today. Um, and I thought that the toughness, his ability to keep coming back in the game, there were some third and long completions where he put the ball exactly where it needed to go. So I came away with from this game impressed with Mike White. I see what some Jets fans are seeing in him. I don't know that I'm ready to say that he's the Jets quarterback for the next 10 years. But I think he's going to be in the conversation in 2023, whether it's handed to him or whether he's competing with either a new rookie or Zach Wilson again. Where are you at with Mike White? I think Mike White in this second mini stretch, we'll call it, because, of course, there was that stretch of games he had last season and now this stretch of games this season. And what we hear about the locker room with him and everything like that has essentially um, encapsulized something for his career, we'll call it, where I think he'll be around this league for a while. And I I say it like that because I think that feeds even more so into your love and comparison for Fitzpatrick. There's a reason Fitzpatrick bounced around the league a lot because he wasn't necessarily good enough to be that reliable starter for long-term, you know, success, but he was good enough 
to be a good guy there if you really needed to lean on a dependable backup and get things done or move them along and do whatever you need to do. He is absolutely in that category. I think what Mike White has officially done is kind of what we hoped, you know, Case Keenan would be. He is that really dependable backup now, and he probably will be that for his career. There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, think about like the Luke McCown, you know, he had what a 12 year career as a backup, things like that. Like good for him. Just talking about him as an individual, good for him. And I will also say and double that, like he has guts. He, <laughs> the Milano hit clean as could be the Milano hit though. That's a car accident. That is a, I, I would love to hear what speed Milano was at, at the point of which he contacted the exposed ribs of Mike White. Cause if I had to guess, I would probably say 15 miles an hour. Cause he basically got in free for a shot and you gave him about eight yards. I want to say it was to kind of run and get a shoulder right into him on those exposed ribs. So I'm just trying to envision, envision the impact of a 15 mile per hour object. That's blunt but going directly into my exposed rib cage as I'm trying to push something forward. So you're even technically putting a little bit more, you know, not to get too much in the physics here, but you're actually trying to move an object the opposite direction all at the same time. I can't even imagine the amount of pain he went in. And then he comes back out, what, half an hour later, whatever it was, with a flak jacket on and muscles through it. Yeah. Oh Impressive. my goodness. Unbelievable. He, I gave him an absolute tip of the cap. I cannot believe he's muscling this out and I respect him as an NFL player. That's kind of where I'm at with Mike White. Like I, I will never be like Mike White doesn't need to be in this league. Mike White clearly cares about ball, cares about the teammates that he has and wants to be out there and try to do what he can to make things happen. And there is a lot to respect in that. And that all those things I just said right there, Josh, I feel like you could just copy and paste and put under the career of Ryan Fitzpatrick and anywhere he went, it was exactly the same thing. I'm just trying to kind of solidify and put a nice little bow tie on your thing there, because I will <laughs> say as a player, I don't think they're very similar in many regards, but, and I mean that in like play style, mm -hmm. but as people and as players, just as individual in the league, I do think there is a great similarity in many different ways to these two players. And um, I think you, you're on to something there. You're definitely on to something. And this game was definitely one where this is a game too, where I thought Zach Wilson might eventually get his, his chance back. And maybe depending on this rib situation, he will in short term, unless they really go to Joe Flacco from here on out. But Which we need to have a Flacco conversation because how, how brutal was he? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if we need to have too much of a Flacco conversation, <laughs> but he was, I mean, Flacco, what was it, week two in Cleveland? He was good then, but yeah, I don't know. Today, yeah, early in the year, the big comeback. Yeah, earlier in the year when he was kind of just doing his thing, it was actually decent. Now, all of a sudden, maybe it's just because he's not a kind of quarterback that can come off the bench cold. He needs to be, you know, warmed up and prepped for a game. Who knows? Anyways, with Mike White, though, tip of the cap. Respect to you, man. You're a baller. You, you, Mike White has officially hit the fandom, the football fandom in me that is similar to like a Taylor Heineke. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to not root for this guy. This guy cares about playing the game. He wants to play the game. He wants to do it for his teammates. And he is trying to win by any means necessary, literally putting his body on the line. I can respect the crap out of it because there's nothing expected of you. You're expected to be just a guy in the background. 
You're not expected to be this dude. And yet you want to be out there and just seize the opportunity any way you can. Props to you, Mike White. Um, yeah, you did everything you could this one. And just unfortunately, Mike, Mo <laughs> Matt Milano, Mike Milano, Matt Milano just absolutely obliterated your rib cages, rib cage after he had already suffered a big hit prior to that, that probably shook things up a little bit. It's like, that was a kill shot in all the legal ways In all the legal ways <laughs> that was just a free shot to the chest that no person could sustain that and just not want to just curl in a ball and lay there. Like if that was Josh, could you imagine that happening? Like, you know, you're playing pickup with your buddies and a person just comes in clean on your ribs. No, the thanks. Game would be over. the yeah. game would be over and you're just in a ball in the middle of whatever field. Like someone called nine one one. I'm not moving. <laughs> it's over. Crazy hit. Mm. Legal, but crazy. Yeah. I, I gained a lot of respect for him. I mean, I've, I've had the wind knocked out of me and like, uh, there's no way I was going to do anything athletic the rest of the day. And he, and he had a rib injury and came back in and, and really like fought hard. But I think we have to talk about the good side of this because the bills did win a game. They did improve to 10 and three. They are a first place team and all the credit today is going to go to the defense. And Luca, if you want to talk about the first test for this defense with the knowledge that Von Miller is not coming back, they did play a game last week without Von Miller, but the idea was he'd be back sooner rather than later. Now they know he's not coming back. I'd say they passed the first test. Four sacks from their defensive ends today. Greg Rousseau had two, one forced fumble. A.G. Epinesa had a sack, also had a forced fumble. Shaq Lawson had a sack and was just an absolute beast when it comes to run support today. If you're looking for this defensive line to step up, there are going to be tougher challenges down the line than the Jets. Look no further than next week when one of the best offenses in the league comes to Buffalo. But this was the first test, and I would say that this de defense, particularly the defensive line, against an offensive line that really pushed them around the last time these two teams met, they passed the test with flying colors today. Yeah, I just want to give a quick spoiler alert to this one, probably coming up later in the show <laughs> here. But yeah, uh, all edge defenders. Really, I you say pass the test. I say pass with flying colors. They were very present very active and got the job done in great ways consistently. And I feel like that's one of the biggest trigger words on our, all of our shows, both built in Buffalo live and here consistency is something that we crave from this team. And today from the start to the finish, there was a consistent effort of a great level from all edge defenders. Like you mentioned the four sacks, Epinesa Lawson and Rousseau with two, but even Boogie Basham, I'm not going to like disregard him. I thought he had a decent day himself. It's not like he was ever a liability, I will say. And there was a decent push there for a couple of times. Um, it was just, it was great to see. Like, it's funny too, though, because we say this and I won't even say they had a perfect day because the one touchdown the Jets got, Rousseau just slips and kind of trips on himself, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that allows the, you know, um, well, I can never say his name. Is it what, what is his? Uh, Bam. Yeah, yeah, right. Just call him Bam. Bam. Uh, <laughs> don't don't complicate things here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bam gets in eventually, but it was like Russo had that one rough moment, and mm -hmm. it's forgettable. Like, look, it happens. Conditions were tough. Whatever you want to call it, you would like to see Russo and his length and everything get him down before he just gets into the end zone there. But realistically, man, like. It happens, and 
at least he stepped up in big time moments there with a couple sacks and that one forced fumble that made things happen. And it was, it's there's, there's nothing you can say poorly about their game beyond that one little hiccup moment. Like that's great. And that needs to be highlighted. That needs to be emphasized. And as you pointed out exactly right, this was the first time since we got the unfortunate knowledge about Von Miller being out for the year that now it's like, okay, this is the crew we got again, kind of a mixed bag of, you know, what we had last year. And then a couple other things that we had in previous years that we felt were decent, but never stepped up in those big moments. How are we going to see them now? And it really felt like they've all progressed. Rousseau, I will say, man, like, wow. Like, even with that slip up, I'm like, Rousseau has still progressed and he is becoming something really good and great and potentially special in front of us. And there were the one sack, especially I was like, he's a freak. Like that was just, that was all him just dominated from the snap all the way to the finish. It was awesome. And yeah, passed the test to me with flying colors since we learned the news about Von Miller. And yeah, I, it gave me a comfort. It gave me a comfort going forward. It's like, these guys can do this. They can do it for an entire 60 minutes. Thank goodness. Hopefully we see more of this in the future. You know, it's interesting on Rousseau. You've been on him really since this spring when you started getting a look at him in preseason, saying that you would put him up in that same class as guys like Edmonds Milano, like the stars on this defense. And I'm watching him continue to develop. He has seven sacks in nine games, had two more today because he missed a big chunk of the games. He he got injured in the previous Jets game on November 6th, didn't play again until the New England game last week. and he is absolutely blossoming into a star. When the Bills took him in the first round of the draft last year, it was very much an athletic projection because 6'6", 250, 260 pounds, I think, on the day of the draft. And he was a raw prospect. He only had one year of full college playing at defensive end. Then he took off all of 2020 for COVID because his mom was a, a first-line uh, nurse and it was just the best decision for his family not to be out there. And you just didn't know what you were getting with him. And he, he slipped in the draft because there was a lot of thought that he could go a lot higher had he not taken that year off. And he was very raw. He won a lot with his length and his size. And what you're seeing now, a lot of credit goes to Eric Washington. I think a lot of credit probably goes to Von Miller, too. We'll never know how much is he's putting it all together. He's setting up different pass rush moves. He's using his length that he's always used well but he's putting it into combination pass rush moves. He's using his length, his speed, the power to his advantage, and he is becoming an absolute force at defensive end. And this is going to sound so weird, Luca, because who wants to get upset about having a 22-year-old future star on your team at a premier position like defensive end? I'm watching him out there today. And this, you know, this isn't just today. Like I would never just call somebody a future star because of one game. This has been building and I'm getting sad. Because I'm like, how sweet would it be to have Von Miller and Greg Rousseau together for this stretch run? And like, just how hard would this team be to block? And then you have Ed Oliver. And then when Jordan Phillips comes back and Daquan Jones, who continues to just be an absolute force on the inside with the linebackers behind them. And there's a part of me that got sad. But then there's another part of me that thought, hey, maybe all is not lost with this Von Miller injury. Maybe they do have a guy in Rousseau who can step up now, take the knowledge that Von Miller showed him on how to be that guy and can carry this team along with Ed Oliver and the guys on the inside. And then when Von comes back next year, it's going to be another really, really good unit. But 
if this is the Greg Rousseau we're going to get, plus we're going to get flashes from guys like Epinesa and Basham and Lawson, I still think, Luca, that this can be a very high-end defensive line in this league. Maybe not the second or first or third best defensive line in the league, but I think they have all the makings of a top 10 defensive line. And with their linebackers, and maybe not today the best example, their secondary, I think that should be enough for this team to be a good enough defense to get where this team needs to get to. Yeah, the front seven specifically, as you point out today, was good enough. And I I say it like, I mean, obviously they were way more as a way more than just the general good enough, but they were so good in what they were doing and consistent that that off day from the secondary that you kind of pointed out there. And it wasn't really it wasn't it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great either. You can get away with that with ease, essentially. Like it's like, hey, we can control this game with that front seven and Rousseau, Milano, Edmonds, and then the other edge defenders opposite of Rousseau and the interior defensive lineman with, you know, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver. And as you pointed out, once Phillips gets back, um, Tim Settle, just give him another shout out. I thought he had a decent day. It's not like he had an exceptional day, but he wasn't quiet either. He was important as all. Like those guys stepping up and making things happen in a game where, I mean, you pointed it out too. We got outpossessed by 10 minutes and I don't think I minded that. Like it was just like when they had the ball, I never felt overly threatened. It's like our front seven is doing a great enough job in just containing it that there's kind of a reason why they just keep having the ball. Like it's, there's not much they can do with it. They were just like a couple times early on in the game, Mike White just would hit a beautiful third and long, you know, up the right side or whatever it is. And it's just like, well, I mean, that's where your secondary, you would like to step up. But Mike White also made a great play there to put that ball in a perfect location that it's like, you got to live with it, right? You, there's not, you're not always going to win the battle. Sometimes a guy will make the perfect play and it just is what it is. We know that a lot with Josh Allen, you know, in the past and stuff like that, where it's like, there is no defense for a perfect play. It just is what it is, and you have to live with it. That factored into that time of possession because all the runs and things like that, it's not like they had a horrible day on the ground, but there was never really once other than the touchdown run where I felt any sort of threat because they were doing a great job just sticking to their assignments, doing their job, and being consistent at it to the point where it's like, I'm not worried. So, yeah, you know, I already gave the props to the edge defenders and gave them all their love. Front seven as a whole did a great job. And, yeah, it's they were the key to the game today to really help the Bills get out with the win, but also it held them to 10 points. And it's like, that makes sense. That's exactly what the Jets probably deserve. They had that one good driver. They got the touchdown. And other than that, they weren't really doing much to threaten us, uh, you know, defensively. And it's like, okay. We're good to go here. Our defense did their job, stepped up when the offense was off. And sometimes that's exactly what you need as a team to move forward and keep grinding out wins in these tough, tough months moving forward. Let's talk about the secondary now, because we've been wondering all season long, once Tredavious White is ramped up and ready to play that full-time role, what is the rotation going to look like at cornerback? And we're still waiting for Christian Benford to come back off of IR He's out. Kair Elam was inactive last week, a healthy scratch against New England, and Xavier Rhodes played in his spot. This week, Luca, there was no rotation. Tredavious White had 100% of the snaps. That's fantastic. That's what we all want to see. 
Dane Jackson also had 100% of the snaps. Kyir Elam had zero defensive snaps. Something's going on with Kyir Elam, Luca. I don't know what it is. Um, from what you and I can see, uh, this this doesn't justify a benching because of his play unless we are missing something because I feel like he has played well, even ascended as the year has gone on. And you combine that with a player like Dane Jackson, who I think is playing a little better than his numbers look. I think he has a little bit of a dark cloud over his head right now where he is losing literally every 50-50 ball that gets thrown in his area. But I don't know if it's a situation where Sean McDermott doesn't want to pull Dane Jackson off the field because he feels like this is a guy that's struggling. He doesn't want him questioning himself more than that. But I think I'm overthinking it because why was Kyrie Elam benched last week against New England for an Xavier Rhodes, who was a practice squad player uh, a couple of weeks prior before being added to the active roster? Why can Kyrie Elam not get on the field this week when Dane Jackson is uh, continuing to give up third down conversions? It's irresponsible for us to guess what's going on with Kyrie Elam. But Lucas, something here is amiss. I don't think we'll ever get the full story, but it's it's been, I guess, a disappointing year for this first round pick who you and I both thought was playing pretty well. Yeah, I absolutely do not expect to get any sort of like exact story on this. Yeah, this seems again. And I think I said this prior. This seems like something that's in house. Something's going on, whether it's maybe. He, yeah, it's irresponsible for us to even guess, but it seems like. I, if I were to just speculate or just throw out something that my mind is like what you're saying, you don't want to pull Dane Jackson off. He's struggling because you don't want him questioning himself. Maybe Kyrie Williams hit a rookie wall mentally that he's not really getting over and they're seeing something in practice. Maybe something behind closed doors is going on that is justifying everything that's going on with him not seeing the field in both manners, whether it's he's not even dressed or he is dressed and it's like, hey, Dane's just going to ride this out and you're essentially there in case we need you. And um, you don't like to see that out of your first round picks, but I trust this staff. I trust McDermott. I trust Frazier. And it's like, I feel like I have to keep reiterating, reiterating that, but it's important. And I almost have to tell myself that at times. It's like, they have to, they have such a proven record. They have such a good understanding of how to mold young talent, especially in that world, that I trust that whatever they're doing, they feel is the best for the player. It, Kair Elam is a long term investment. Again, draft picks aren't supposed to be for immediate returns. It's nice when you get great immediate returns. It's just, look, the big picture is. This is a guy for the long term, and they clearly, I would hope, are doing something that they feel are in his best interest moving forward, both for himself and the team, so that we can hopefully get him to a high level of play. As you also pointed out, it's not something that I feel like we would be able to see on tape because what you and I have seen, I don't think there's really anything there in our opinions that justifies what's going on. But I, I say that, you know, I say that as respectfully as possible. You know, it's not like we're being critical of this. It's like, clearly there's something else. As you said, it'd be irresponsible to speculate. And I am just going to sit here and have to even tell myself if needed that I trust this coaching staff. 
I trust this front office and I trust everyone involved that they believe what they're doing and how they are handling whatever this situation is, is the best for the player and the team moving forward long term. This is what needs to happen for whatever reason and whatever's going on. It is what it is. It's very head scratching, but it is what it is. And it's just something that I think everyone needs to kind of. I what. I'm not being cruel. I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to be like that guy, but it's like, just, we need to accept that. We need to accept that trust in this coaching staff and in the, in we need to trust the belief in the people that are involved in the day to day and who handle Kyrie Elam, that they know what they're doing and they believe this is what's best for him because hopefully that is in fact the case. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Christian Benford comes back because that's another young player that was playing very well. And if he just hops right into the lineup, leapfrogging Kyer Elam and maybe even Dane Jackson, that that will even be a little bit more fuel to add to this fire. We are going to get to our game balls and game check segment here in a second, but I do want to hear from some of our listeners because we put a question out on Twitter, the same question I started this podcast off with. Luca, what was the story of this game? Bills by a billion. Jackson and McKenzie should be keeping the bench warm for Elam and Shakir slash Brown. Talked a little bit about that. We didn't really get too much into McKenzie. Luca, quickly, what were your thoughts on McKenzie's game today? Because I feel like um, something isn't as explosive as it was in previous years. I don't know if it's age or what, but I feel like McKenzie isn't making guys miss in the open field like the McKenzie we saw do in previous years. Maybe it's just as simple as, his legs aren't as fresh on those explosive plays because he's running a lot more pass routes than he had in previous years. Yeah, I, I'm not going to. Today's game wasn't something that I was like overly critical on him and stuff like that. I, I thought you got what you got out of him and it wasn't anything that I would say is his fault on the lack of production. I think, you know, maybe it would be nice if in the years past his explosiveness would come back. Yeah, but overall, it just. It is what it is, and at the top, you know, I mean, he had a total, a total of six looks and four touches. Yeah, right. And it's just like you got to make the most of your your opportunities, and he hasn't. But it's not like he did anything that made me go, "Why is he even on the field?" Either. I do think there's something with Shakir not being on the field more than what people want. I personally would love to see him on the field too. It's just even when you get tape where he's not even engaging blocks or whatever is needed, maybe there's just something there where he just, maybe he's not a young guy that's buying into everything right now. And they're just trying to, you know, ease him in and just kind of get him immersed in the culture and get him to buy into what's going on here. So hopefully he can be an impact player moving forward. And, you know, like I love, I love Khalil Shakir, but I'm just going to be like, it's not like Khalil Shakir has done too much to me. Also, that makes me go, yeah, you have to be in there for McKenzie. I think they are what they are. You, you maybe cycle them a little bit more, see what you got if you're trying to do stuff. But I don't think like today's game plan was anything where I'm like, oh, McKenzie just wasted so much that it cost us a lot of opportunities. I don't think that's the case. Like McKenzie's game today was whatever. And it's important to remember, maybe this can even stretch back to the Kyrie Elam conversation we just had. We have access to these guys for what we see one day a week. These guys are in front of their coaches seven days a week. So I, I think if they felt like Khalil Shakir could really help them over what my Isaiah McKenzie is giving them, he'd probably be on the field. Um, speaking of rookies really struggling to block Luca, there was a screen pass to Stefan Diggs today 
where James Cook was asked to be a lead blocker. And let's just say, Ken Dorsey, you can go ahead and scrap that strategy from your playbook because that was just as awful as it sounds as uh, Stefan Diggs is lucky to still be walking after James Cook just hung him out to dry. I don't think James Cook was thought of as a uh, blocking running back coming out of Georgia, and it showed today. Bots21 says, build a dome. Our friend Julie Andre 94 says, we showed them who our healthy team really is, even in bad weather. We dominated and shut them down. Done. End of argument. Good night. Ha. We love uh, interacting with Julie. She is one of our biggest followers, but biggest interactors. We we love listening to her content too. Good friend of the show there. Um, illusionary promise at illusion at illusory promise. Excuse me. The pass rush can win without Vaughn, but the offense needs someone to step up beyond Allen and Diggs. Certainly echo that sentiment. Um, C. Sampson Bills. D-line was dominant, just ridiculous. Milano playing all pro ball. Josh Allen was sent from Krypton to heal this fan base's trauma. Love that. And let's finish it up with another one that we love interacting with all the time. Mary in the buff. That Jets organization gives zero shits about its players. Interesting. I guess uh, she took she took exception, Luca, with Mike White coming back in the game, which I think maybe a lot of people did. Eh, look. Mike White told him just put an extra flak jacket on me and get me the heck back out there, man. Like I'm a I'm a gamer. I'm a Taylor Heineke that's got broken ribs right now. Give me a chance, coach. I'm not. Look, I don't think the Jets organization's like we don't give a flying f about yeah. you. We're gonna throw you to the wolves again. I'm pretty sure there was a you know mutual like. I feel okay enough to go back out there. I don't think doctors would be like, he would be like, oh, I can barely move. And docs are like, just throw something on and get back out there. What are you talking about? This isn't a rub some dirt on it kind of culture we live in now anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he's a day he's a day three draft pick. He's playing behind the second overall pick from the draft up until that second overall pick got benched. He probably has the mentality and just judging by how his teammates react to him of, you're going to have to carry me off this field. I'm not giving up this opportunity. So, uh, Mary, we appreciate the tweet, uh, but yeah, the Jets, you know, a tough day for Mike White. Hopefully, hopefully he's fine. I know he, he did ride the team plane back, uh, with the Jets. All right, Luca, let's put a bow on this game with our favorite segment, game balls and game checks. Game balls is the game MVP game checks, also known as the Zach Moss Memorial Award. will go to a player who really didn't even need to show up today and they should feel ashamed cashing their game check. Luca, who gets your game ball for today's performance in the Bills 20 to 12 victory over those New York Jets? So I feel bad doing this because it's not just one guy, but I feel like it's just not fair to isolate it to one guy. I said spoiler alert earlier, and that is because the entire edge defensive group deserves a game ball entirely. It was as exactly as we discussed, reiterating everything, so I don't have to do anything long here, but. This is the first time we had to see what this group can do now having the knowledge that moving forward, we don't have that closer we had here originally. He's out for the year. We need you to step up. We need you to be more consistent and give what we hope you can do moving forward. And they gave us exactly that. They passed the test with flying color colors. And it was everything I hoped for when it comes to making me comfortable moving forward as these games go on later in the season and then eventually into the postseason where it's like 
I'm not going to be nervous about our edge defenders. I know the capabilities are there and hopefully it just comes back in those opportune moments like it did today. So yeah, you know, Rousseau, Epinesa, Lawson, Boogie Basham, will even throw in there. I want to give them all a game ball. The edge defensive group in a moment where everyone's paying attention to you, probably a little bit more even so than they would. They stepped up. They had a. They are the keys to this game and this victory, in my opinion. So they have to be my game ball. Love it. I think it's. A, I think it's a great call. Um, I would say that my game ball is going to go to a guy who really could have gotten it a couple weeks ago in Detroit. I uh, did have did have one bad play that maybe cost him that. Plus, I wanted to give it to Stefan Diggs because I was in attendance, but. Maybe a little under the radar, but in a game the Bills won 20 to 12, one possession game on a day the offense was really struggling. They needed this guy to come through every time his number was called, and he did. Tyler Bass, two for two on field goals, 49 yard was as long, two for two on extra points, contributed eight points. The Bills ended up winning by those eight points on a day where weather was a factor. The ball was slick. There was never a kick that was in doubt. And I just feel like for this team, you know, you don't see a lot of great teams that don't have a reliable kicker. And Tyler Bass is certainly that for the Bills. He's hit a couple game winners this year, and he has been a steady Eddie, even in less than ideal weather conditions. Uh, Matt Milano was somebody who got strong consideration for me, did not practice all week, got a limited practice in on Friday and was a monster out there, had seven tackles and just seemingly tackles with force every time he gets to the ball. Um, I do like a lot of what I saw at Daquan Jones today, just continues to really eat up the middle of the field, push the pocket, and has been one of the better value signings for the Bills, even though at the time we're like, man, that's kind of a heavy, heavy contract for uh, Daquan Jones, but he came through. Dawson Knox had a strong game receiving, uh, got in the end zone. Uh, we kind of predicted that. We thought that maybe you could make some hay on the Jets over the middle, um, does come up short on the game ball, though, because of that drop on the, the play that could have put the game away or at least close to it, put the game away. So that's why he falls short for me. But those would be my other candidates there for the game ball. All right, Luca, with the good, we got to have some bad. Whose game check would you like back for their performance or lack of a performance today against the Jets? So it looks like uh, the Zach Moss Memorial Award is going to find itself being awarded to an individual at the position of which that individual had been on with this team. And you mentioned him late there uh, about basically almost getting digs killed. <laughs> he has to be brought up here. James Cook, man, like four carries for six yards, a four yard run in there as you're long and 15 total yards on five touches. So one additional catch in there. Um, it's more about, well, other than that lack of block when you are kind of the guy to create that play, it was more of a situation where, um, how, do I, how do I put this? It was like we finally got to see what he can hopefully continue with in the New England game, and it's like, wow, the explosiveness. Everything was there, and it's like, oh, my goodness, let's – I don't mean ramp it up as like just run them into the ground, but like, let's keep that going here. Let's see what that pop is going to give this offense. It really seems like something that hopefully we can keep using moving forward. And then this was like a big letdown. This was like, ugh, you know, whatever it is, it's just like, 
oh, damn it. Like, why, why, why right after you gave us something so great to watch that was game ball worthy, do you have to like slam, not just bring, slam us back down to earth and give us a disappointing performance where it's like, crap, that was not good. And now it's like, as we are sitting here mentioning it, James Cook, unfortunately, this week after having a game ball performance last week, I am giving you my Zach Zach Moss Memorial Award, bud. Sorry, man. That was just a bad day for you. I think that's the most disappointing thing about James Cook's season, too, is the two games he's had where it really felt like he was starting to put it all together and become that weapon we envisioned on draft day, the Browns game and then the Patriots game. The next week, he follows them up with an absolute dud. So there has been no building on that strong performance. And there's a lot that goes into a successful running game. The offensive line, the quarterback has to get him in the right checks. But still, James Cook had a really down game. Four carries for six yards. I will tell you, Naheen Himes only had one carry today and he had one catch. And it was one catch for four yards. But that might have been the catch of the day because he got absolutely plastered when he caught the ball. And that kind of made me mad because I'm thinking, okay, he is as good as advertised when he's catching the ball. And on a day when everybody was taking turns dropping the ball, here's this guy we traded for in midseason who was advertised as this weapon in the passing game along with being a running back. And he's showing sure hands out there. I don't know. I just want to see more. I don't know who at the expense of last week, James Cook looked like he could be really amounting into something. So Don't necessarily want to see Hines take work away from him, but on a day where a lot of guys were really struggling to hold onto the ball, it felt like maybe the Bills could have found a way to get Naheem Hines a little more involved. One of the easier game checks I'm ever going to have to assign because the player didn't play. Kair Elam, zero defensive snaps today. Uh, Didn't really need him. You could have just dressed Xavier Rhodes. You could have have dressed um, Dean Marlowe. It didn't matter. He didn't play a snap on defense. I don't know what's going on with Kyer Elam. I'm going to trust the process, as you say. But as far as today's performance goes, he was essentially a waste of a roster spot. Unless, of course, you value whatever he did on special teams. Um, Also, game check award. AJ Klein, for as good as he is as a defensive backup linebacker, he might be equally bad at special teams. Um, The way he just had a ball that he just fell on with momentum, carrying him into the end zone. For a touchback, I know he thought that it had hit the returner Barrios. And then I also believe Klein was the one that gave up the block or there was a mix up on the block punt. And then Matikiewicz even had an issue where um, he's the only one that tackled uh, Naheem Hines on the punt re- on a punt return where Hines looked like he had some room to run. And then it was Matikiewicz who actually got in his way and knocked him out. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to give my game check to Kair Elam. All right, Luca, what is on deck for these Buffalo Bills? is a rematch with the Miami Dolphins, who are in action as we speak. They are currently trailing the LA Chargers 17-14 to in the third quarter. Tyreek Hill has just scored his second touchdown of the day, and uh, we'll see what happens here. But, Luca, this is going to be a very, very, very big game. This game got flexed to Saturday night. The Dolphins are obviously still playing right now on the other side of the country. They have to travel back and then travel again on Saturday, a short week. It sure seems like, at least logistically, this is lining up for the Bills to potentially have an advantage. 
Yeah. That's, it's got to be tough for them with the amount of travel they had and then also just staying away from home this entire week as we know it, you know, because they were playing San Fran and now they are playing the Chargers as we are talking and recording this. Um, they, they just stayed away from home and then they're going to fly back home after this and then come back up on a slightly shorter week. I always kind of hate calling it a short week. I mean, it's a full work week, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a Monday to Friday work week. Is it really that short? It's not a Thursday night game where it's going to be only walkthroughs. I would imagine they're going to have some sort of actual practice, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot to go. It's fatiguing a little bit more so for them, especially in comparison to us. But, um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, this is, if there's a game where it, it could ultimately decide if we can absolutely, you know, hold on to the grips of that one seed or really it's up in the balance. This is it now. Like this is going to be that one because even looking past it after that, you have a bears game, which I mean, Josh, we all know how I feel about those lovely Chicago bears. And then following that is another crucial game against the Bengals. But this is one that has both, you know, one seed, but then divisional things because you can't lose the overall tiebreaker to the Dolphins and expect to somehow still like win the division. You, You especially already losing, you know, the Jets game as well. Like this is this is it. This is the one that you need to do it. Get it done. Figure out a result, by the way. I'm going to go into this game, and I just want this on record now. I'm going into this game, Josh, where I don't need it to be pretty. I don't need to absolutely stomp out the Dolphins because I feel like some of the fan base wants that to happen. I just want to get out of there with an 11 in the win column. However that happens, I do not care. Just make it happen for me. That's what I think everyone's mindset should be. It doesn't need to be pretty. We don't need to do it because it's on the, you know, national stage where it's, you know, Allen just putting it up on him and giving getting revenge back for that week uh, three game. Like it's no, just just get the dang win. Like I don't need anything flashy. I don't need you to kill their spirits. Just get the win. Get out of Saturday night and enjoy a football Sunday off knowing you are 11 wins in the column and you're sitting atop the conference feeling dang good then going into Chicago with I mean I mean Josh let's just call it what it is a 90%er that you should be walking look it's the National Football League it's the you know anything can happen on Sundays but I'm going to go ahead and you know go out on a limb and say that's a 90%er to me like barring anything crazy they hopefully should be getting out of that one with a win too and feeling very good going into that Monday night matchup with the Bengals. So, yeah, a lot on the line in this Miami game. This is one that is bigger than the others kind of deal, definitely. I don't know if I have the authority to do this, Luca, but if the Bills beat the Dolphins and they go on to lose to the Bears on Christmas Eve, I am canceling Christmas. I said it. Christmas is canceled. Oh, you can't do that. I, I don't have the authority. Okay. Well. No, no, you can't. <laughs> there are other people involved that you cannot do that for. Okay, Josh. fair I'm enough. Fair. I, I you actually can cancel it mentally. Yeah. But just hopefully don't do that physically and show everyone. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a certain fellow with a with a big white beard that I suppose uh, has that authority that is there a little bit higher up the food chain than me. But yeah, this game is massive, and we don't know the result of this Dolphins game against the Chargers. And, and it is it, this game right now is obviously a big game too. But 
if the Dolphins win, they would be nine and four. So when you look at what next week would mean, just completely divorced from any result with the Chiefs this week or next week, whatever, a Bills win would put them at 11 and three, two games ahead of the Dolphins. And they would be really, they would have to, the, for the Bills to be caught by the Dolphins at that point in time, the Bills would either have to drop a game to the Chicago Bears, who we just talked about, not a very good football team, or drop a home game to the New England Patriots, who the Bills just embarrassed in Foxborough. So the Bills win next week, win or lose from the Dolphins this weekend against the Chargers. You feel really good about the fact they're going to win their third AFC title in three years. Conversely, Dolphins win tonight. If they win in Buffalo next week, the Dolphins take over first first place in the AFC East. The Bills would drop all the way down to either the fourth or the fifth seed, depending on how tiebreakers work out with whoever is in second place in the NFC North, depending on what happens on the out-of-town scoreboard. So a lot, a lot on the line next week when the Bills host the Miami Dolphins. I cannot wait, Luca till built in Buffalo live on Friday for us to really dive into this game. Talk about all the implications. We will obviously know the result of the Miami dolphins against LA chargers game, which is currently 20 to 14. Now the chargers have tacked on a field goal, but yeah, Luca, this was good. This was a good win. I am with you. Style points to me almost don't matter at this point. We know what this team is capable of. I'm, I'm sure we would all would agree that it would be comforting to see an explosion. I think if you went into this game today, against the New York Jets, expecting the Bills to explode on this defense. You probably just haven't been paying attention to the Jets. My final thought here, Luca, is this division's kind of annoying. The Dolphins are a headache. They play good offense. Belichick, you know, I mean, even though they don't have the most talented roster in the league, they're always going to be a tough out. And this Jets team, man, they play good defense. Um, We don't know what's happening at quarterback, but this team's going to get back Elijah Vera Tucker. They're going to they're gonna get back Mekhi Becton. They're going to maybe get a quarterback upgrade this offseason. They have the New York market. They have a very attractive landing spot for a quarterback. You never know what that's going to look like. This isn't the Tom Brady AFC East anymore where it's just you can count up five to six wins every year. The Bills are going to have to earn it every year, it looks like, in this division. I love <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to giggle as you like immediately were like, it's annoying. It is annoying. It's, just why can't we shine? Because, yeah, it's like we just enjoyed, you know, we'll call it a couple years. I guess the Dolphins two years ago, it was maybe pushed us a little bit, a touch. But other than that, it was somewhat comfortable in the division. You know, the Patriots had that one random push there last season that just didn't even really feel real. You know, you had a couple of weird random things going on and the Patriots all of a sudden were the one seed in the AFC and it didn't even feel like they were winning the division at that point, other than the fact that we lost to them in a crazy, weird, win- windy game. Like, other than that, it's like, no, it's been pretty much like, yeah, it's been comfortable for a couple of years. This is really nice. We're getting used to this, Josh. And all of a sudden, this was supposed to be a year where it's like, yeah, we are the betting favorite. Clearly, we are a step above everyone else at least. And now we're sitting here like, holy crap, this is going to be a dogfight every single year. Every team seems to be set up somewhat well, if not even really well, moving forward in the future. Um, yeah, I mean, my my final point is kind of going back to the Dolphins game last week. We're sitting here watching this right now, Josh. My eyes 
and years and everything are going to be on number 10 for these Dolphins right now because we are watching them cut the camera to him every time and he's getting massive treatment on his ankle. Yes. Boy, would that be a break if he's not playing Saturday night. <laughs> so he- I, I don't root for injuries, but I would sure love if he needs to take a week off conveniently when they have to come to town because it's just not working out for him after a week of practice. That would be lovely. Take the week off, Tyreek. Um, yeah, he was at halftime ruled questionable to come back with an ankle injury. So then I started watching him and you, he, I mean, he's still probably the fastest guy on the field, uh, but you can just tell he is laboring. He is favoring that ankle and he did kind of um, fool us all on that last touchdown pass where it looked like he was like limping into the end zone. It turns out he was just making fun of it, but yeah, that's certainly <laughs> something to watch. Um, and you know, an injured ankle talk about maybe potential cold weather in Buffalo. That could not be super Mm -hmm. ideal. And we have seen Gabe Davis even playing on an injured ankle. It can affect everything else. When you're thinking about one particular pain point on your body, um, maybe the hands don't work as well. We'll we'll see. But Tyree kill having an absolute monster of a year. He's still in the game right now. And um, I, I, I would say all signs point to him probably showing up in Buffalo next week. Hopefully he's not covered by Dane Jackson. That's all I have to say about that. But we will find out who is going to be covering the Dolphins during the game next week. And Luca and I will be back on Bill's chat to talk all about what happened in the Bills-Dolphins matchup. We would love for you to keep it locked into the Built in Buffalo podcast network. We will keep you up to date on all Bills news as well as get you ready for that big game against Miami, including Built in Buffalo live on Friday night. Join us. Come chat with us live. We'll answer your questions in chat if you have any. Luca and I will be doing a full Bills Dolphins preview Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Until then, for Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bills Chat. Bills Chat.